Welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast pressuring the commercial TV networks to bring back the game show Supermarket Sweep with Ian Turpy. Might be a bit difficult now that Turps is dead, but uh, we're still confident of a compromise. Besides, it wouldn't be the first time that Coles was caught flogging expired goods. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing all of the action from the Indigenous All-Stars match, where Wayne Bennett will go after leaving Souths in 2021, as well as a preview of how we feel the Eagles and the Eels will fare in 2020. But first, I'm joined on the couch at the Married at First Commitment Ceremony by the only Roosters fan brave enough to dress up like a frozen Steggles chicken and dance frenetically through the streets of Redfern. It's, of course, Sander Risotto. Welcome to the show, mate. Good to be here, mate. And uh, can I just say, we're the same age. How is it that I have never heard of supermarket sweeps? But it's just something you can rattle off effortlessly. Well, mate, it basically boils down to the fact that uh, when I was in my youth, I had no life. Uh, So I used to run home from school so I could watch all of the really shit game shows, whether or not that was Burjo's catchphrase. Uh, Family Feud with Robert Bruff. Uh, it could have been The Price is Right with Larry Emder. In fact, I used to hang <laughs> you in... Really, this really is effortless, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, like, I remember some of those. <laughs> I'm sure you remember walking past the television when your parents were watching them. But for me, my, my eyes were glued. In fact, if it ever went across to the other network and someone wanted to put on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I said, fucking turn that back right now, mate. You, were, you, you could foresee the disaster that was going to be after Earth back then, could you? I could, mate, yeah. I could see the disaster that was going to be uh, Will Smith's dramatic career in movies. <laughs> now, I, I need to get back to uh, you dancing down the street to Redfern very briefly. And the big detail there that used to puzzle me was the fact that you didn't just dress up like a chicken and want to dance around all of the South locals. It was the fact that you had to be a frozen Steggles chicken. Can you walk the listeners for your logic around that? No, man, it wasn't a frozen Steggles chicken. It was a rooster's comb. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I got that, that, that little. Up. It's the yeah. It's literally the little you know red flappy thing. Um, it confused the shit out of people. People just thought I was a bunch of used tampons. It was just. I heard it enraged locals. In fact, I heard you got turned into a bunch of chicken drumsticks. Demonstrably <laughs> false. <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to. Well, work. mate, it's not a slide on your character. I would have been shitting nuggets personally. Um, <laughs> you were just looking for a way to get the shitting nuggets, weren't you? <laughs> Pretty much, mate. I've, it was a long build, but I got there in the end. Got to build fact, a bit. I'm not a, I'm not a brave rooster supporter like you are, mate. In fact, the only uh, sort of taunting I'll do is to an 85 year old around Westfield Bondi Junction. I'll get all up in a grill, start st- yelling three peat. To be fair, you're still braver than Gus Wallen, who who uh, yelled uh, abuse to South fans outside of a limo um, <laughs> and drove by. And any time they approached him, he just went back into the car and sped off. Is that right? So was that in Redfern that he did that? Yeah, yeah. I remember he was. That there sounds to pretty do brave, it. to be honest. I mean, without the speeding off part. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's easy to do when you're when you when you've got security detail. I think. <laughs> Mate, has he still blocked you for the record? Pretty sure. Yeah, right. We should we should check on that. No, no, he he didn't block me. He just he just uh, criticised me. 
Oh, okay. You know, it was Russell Crowe that blocked me. Oh, he, that's right. He, he yeah. didn't block me. He just he just got upset that I didn't support a cause of his. That's right. Um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but no, he didn't. He he wasn't as petulant as a as a uh, Russell Crowe, for example. So he he just wanted you as a Twitter associate hmm. to agree universally with all of his views. Precisely, and okay. I, I that dis- sounds reasonable. I openly disagreed with one of them, and he was upset about he that. He went apeshit. Yeah, yeah. oh, well. I still can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, it was probably the unlawful hanging of his family or something. He probably wanted you to back that. Um, speaking of being blocked on Twitter, the voluntary tackles Twitter feed got blocked recently and I only realised because I he turned up in a story and I went to go to his Twitter f- profile to find out uh, what he'd had to say about it and uh, that person is Robbie Farah. Did you know Robbie Farah has blocked the voluntary tackle? It happened a little while ago but we, did we ever get to the bottom of it? I don't, I don't understand what it was about. I've, I, you know, I'm racking my brains and we're going to rely on our listeners here. Um, if you can remember anything offensive we've said about Robbie Farah, please bring it to our attention because uh, we'd love to double down, frankly, at this point. Um, but before we pack down into the scrum of the show, Xander, just a reminder to everyone, you can follow us on the handle at Voluntary Tackle on Twitter, even you, Robbie. Uh, you can also get us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have any questions for us, please shoot them our way on the hashtag AskTVT. And we'll gladly discuss your thoughts on the show, no matter how ridiculous or defamatory. A reminder that we'll also have a special Q&A episode coming your way in the next week or so, so please watch out for that one. But first up on the show, mate, we need to talk Indigenous All-Stars. It took place on Saturday night. It was an absorbing match. It was the Mulberry All-Stars who eventually emerged victorious against the Australian Indigenous All-Stars. But before we get into the details, uh, we want to start with the Indigenous war cries, Xander, because for me... This is almost a bigger showpiece than the game itself. Now, the game is amazing. It's been There's been two of them so far, and I think they've both been very highly entertaining games. But I'm so drawn to these. I'm, I hope I'm even using mm. the right terminology here when I say war cry. I really love them. Is it wrong to wait who did better in the war cry? Because I noticed Paul Vorton did that, and it didn't go over so well. Um, I didn't actually hear Paul Vorton uh, criticise who did Better or worse than the war cry, to be completely honest. I think, to be fair to I was him, watching the Fox coverage. There you go, yeah. yeah. So I think this is on the Channel 9 coverage. Yeah. And uh, I think he wasn't being malicious at all. Mm. I'm going to back was he, was he Was he criticising individuals or just ranking which, which war cry was better? I think, no, he wasn't criticising really anyone. He just said, these cultural dances are amazing. And then he turned to mm. Joey and said, which dance did you think was the best? And I think the idea of A, comparing them yeah. and B, calling it a dance... Yeah. Seem to have ruffled a lot of people's feathers. Okay, which yeah. is why I was so petrified about getting the right terminology when I said war cry. Yeah, frankly. I think I think war cry is the correct one. Um, yeah. I do think that anybody who's shocked that Paul Wharton is a little bit lacking in nuance and sensitivity isn't really familiar with our game. Yeah, that's right. They haven't probably watched him over the years. No. You, you don't go to Fatty Vorton for nuance I and, mean, and, and really articulate wording. I mean, at least on this occasion, I assume I didn't watch it. He wasn't cross-dressing, right? <laughs> no, has he been known for that? Yeah, the the footy show was basically oh, if you look at if you look at the, the the old clips from back in the day it's it's he's going to dress every other episode. No, you're right about that. So I, he enjoyed it. I thought you <laughs> meant his private life, which I, <laughs> look, I can only assume it, it crossed over into that realm as well, given how often it seemed to occur. Allegedly, um, but we move on. Mate. Look, I want to know. Assume how do you? What's the best way to appreciate or judge? A, a war cry. Like I found them, I found them quite uh, like enthralling. Um, but it, uh, it's weird for me, um, being a bit of a student of the history of, of this game and 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 uh, rugby union. You know, like it's it's an interesting contrast for me when you look at the the genesis of these being involved in the game, 
and they were brought in for Australia, South Africa, and uh, New Zealand uh, originally as part of touring sites going to the UK mm. who were looking for some kind of uh, uh, like totem of of the the barbaric cultures of the colonies. Okay, so I was, assume South Africa's was just F. W. De Klerk shooting blacks. Well, it was nineteen ten, so he wasn't around. It was basically a bunch of white people pretending to to um, be indigenous and just making shit up about what they thought a war cry might look like for those particular tribes. Wow, sounds like Hollywood in the sixties. It does. I mean, it was actually I think the only one that was genuinely researched and consulting um, uh, local indigenous peoples was the New Zealand one, and even then they were pretty half asked about it up until the. 1970s. So coming into the future then, mm. and 2020, you must be impressed by what these guys are putting on because they seem very culturally authentic. Well, yeah, that's that is the difference. This is driven by those those groups, right? So it, it's it's a real it, like it just shows. If you, you pull up a, a video of like the the 1970s hacker, have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Just just for your own reaction, I'm just going to pull that up right All now. All right, so let's do it live on the show right now. Okay, so yeah. Xander's putting a video in front of me. It's got two girls and one cup. All right, the National Stadium Walker. Oh my lordy! Okay, so that I'm, is I'm the g- haka in the 1970s. All right, because this is a non-visual medium, I'm going to describe this to the listeners. Essentially, uh, it looks like the cast of Mash, uh, bobbing up and down, um, all white, and all have sort of your Greg Chapel moustaches, and it looks horrible. Yeah, it it kind of looks like a uh, high school dance rehearsal where nobody learnt the moves. <laughs> That's right. Where you feel compelled to pretend you know the moves. That yep. you... The general gist of what is there now, mm. and that sort of really intense haka that you see the, the All Blacks and uh, the Kiwis do. When did that come in? Um, I can't remember exactly. I remember it was there, there was actually like a reformation of the haka, I believe, like during like, I think it was in the 80s. Yeah, right. Because it is they, fucking terrifying and it's amazing. Well, I love the way it is now. It's it's evolved, right? So they had that one particular uh, war cry that all the Kiwi... T- well, I think it was just the All Blacks did it. And mm. you only ever did it when you were um, touring. You never did it at home. Oh, is that right? right? What was the thinking there? Um, it's it's some, I can't actually remember exactly, but it's it was something about the, you know, the fact that you, you take a challenge on the road, whereas you're supposed to welcome people coming to your home. Okay. Right. But I've imagined, I always thought that its origins, and again, I'm not mm. a student necessarily of Maori history, so forgive me if I'm completely off base here, but I would have thought that it, it would have come back to tribal warfare. Yeah. That's yeah, why no, it sort of strikes yeah. me, and I thought that it was about potentially warding off invasion, which would make sense more for it to be a home game. The dances themselves, like the, the haka... Um, like it's it's actually kind of a story. If like you ever look up the the translation of it, it's a, isn't like, it going to be quite violent? No, it's it's, it's like not. a it's a it's like a, a oh, it, it's got a really bizarre origin story. Somebody will it's, will. it's pretty much the script of you've got mail. It's a rom com. Uh, it just doesn't look anything like that. It's it's more like a um a David Lynch film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it has no narrative. It's whatsoever. about a dream and a man with hairy legs and um, eventually there's a and, lesbian and, scene. And, and, and they, so they, the All Blacks they, they originally did one haka. Now they actually have a new haka that's called the Kapaupanga, right? Which oh, okay. where they developed specifically for the All Blacks. And originally right. it had a throat slit at the end, which was pretty violent. <laughs> and um, that, that's what he wins the girl at the end of the rom com. <laughs> that's right. And I think those those words are a bit more explicit because it was like it was crafted by a Maori elder specifically. I think for the All Blacks, right? And so they've gotten to the phase now where they do that. And the Kiwis have done; they have their own special one now. It's like they pull it out mm. when they're against tough opposition. So yeah. naturally, they use the old hucker when they play the Wallabies. Do you know what I'm fascinated <laughs> with? I'm fascinated with the guy who went. We need to go from the old hucker to the new hucker, and went. 
I don't know about this throat slitting thing. I think people are going to be turned off by that. No, it was the British uh, media complained about it relentlessly when they. Oh, so they tried it at first, did they? Uh, they they, did, they ran it for a few years. It's just when they toured the UK, yeah. particularly like the UK media, they were. It is a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Am I wrong in thinking that? Is that culturally insensitive to think that cutting someone's head off or feigning to is wrong? I don't know. I just think it makes you a bit of a pussy if you can't handle it, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been called a pussy on my own show here. <laughs> Speaking of the uh, the cultural war dance, though, we need to talk about Josh Adokar because a really special moment that came out of the Indigenous All-Stars game, I think for me, was when he lifted his jersey up to pay homage to St Kilda's Nicky Winmar, uh, who very famously had an act of defiance against racism uh, in the mm. AFL. Um, I think it was like 25-odd years ago, something like that. Um, I thought that was a, quite a stirring moment, you know, to actually connect those two moments in time uh, as a prelude to the Indigenous match. Yeah, no, I, I didn't actually realise the, the significance of it after until after it was explained, you know, through yeah. the media. I actually thought it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a um, quite a nice, uh, I, I think, gesture, mm. um, both of Weimar and, and just, you know, the significance of the match. That's exactly right, Xander. It actually brought home to me the true significance of it because... It's not just a platform for awareness, cultural awareness and putting a showpiece together for these two great cultures, but it's also a, a, a platform for making a statement, not, not necessarily an in-your-face political statement, but just a statement that says, you know, we're, we're dealing with the past and here we are playing today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, it um, I think, adds to the significance of, of something like that, to have that kind of feeling shown by the players involved. It really does, sh- like it demonstrates the level of buying along with the yeah. war cries themselves, right? The 100%. fact that they've, they've, they've crafted, you know, that, that themselves. Yeah, this hasn't yeah. been sutured on mm. cynically. People are really getting invested in the game as, a, as its own standalone thing, which is great for yeah. rugby league too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I, I'm probably a bit of a skeptic about these games originally, but I think now that it is that the, the Maori um, versus you know, the, the Indigenous All-Stars as opposed to just a sort of cobbled together group of, um, you know, random NRL All-Stars. The All-Stars. The white guys. Well, I mean, but the thing is, it wasn't, right? Like, it was it was any Polynesian, it was Maori. It was just whoever wasn't in the Indigenous team, which was a little bit, lacked a little inspiration, whereas this actually, yeah, provides opportunities for both those groups. It's such a better concept. Mm. Uh, one thing we should also mention uh, is... A shout-out to little Quaden Bales. Uh, you, I don't know if you've been keeping up with this story, Xander, but ba- he led out the Australian team on Saturday night. Now, I really have my heart melted or warmed, mm. Xander, as you well know. Most of the time it's frosted over inside uh, basically an ice tomb of cynicism. Uh, but this genuinely warmed me, and hats off to the Indigenous All-Stars for taking the issue of bullying on the front foot and making it happen. Despite what the News Limited press often portray, the NRL can actually get it right sometimes. Yeah, I, I was actually... I had no... no um uh, knowledge of that um, happening in this. I, I, I heard the backstory about the kid who'd mm. been bullied, but I had no idea that they were going to bring him out and make him uh, front and center of the match. I thought that was just such a such a lovely gesture. Yeah, you know, such a nice thing to do for a kid who's clearly you know got a, a rough lot at the moment. Yeah, and it's amazing. Twitter being the the place it is, it brought home this global awareness mm. of bullying, and and they've, they've got a Kickstarter campaign which has raised this huge amount of money, and then of course. What Twitter normally does do, it ends up eating itself. So I was going to say, the next day, Twitter being the place it is, I was sure there was going to be something about basically a bunch of people going in the other direction. So. Well, but that's what happened, right? So the longer these things go, the yeah. altruism fades and it turns into conspiracy theorists and nutheads oh, yeah. um, who were all basically claiming that this poor little kid was 35 years old and was faking the whole thing. Um, <laughs> when he so, was a crisis actor. Yeah, pretty much. For bullying, was he? Yeah. Big shout out to Jip Jones. Because reasons. <laughs> 
Now, um, so yeah, the rugby league can get things right from time to time, although they did select Dylan Walker, so you can't win all of your moral battles. Um, he was out there playing last night. I also quite like, Xander, I don't know if you picked this up, I quite like the forehead-to-forehead action. So after mm, each team yeah. had done their war cry, they then walked towards each other in a form of sort of conciliatory, mm. well done, mate. And that was quite nice, I thought. Yeah, no, that's... that's. I mean, I don't know if it was an Indigenous thing, but I know it's a Maori thing. Right? Oh, okay. Like they... You know, that's that's like a they go forehead to forehead. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I remember in the lead up to the the 2011 Rugby World Cup, it was a big part of the sort of marketing campaign for is the All Blacks. Is that right? Yeah. Which is one of those things, isn't yeah. it? Because at slow motion, it's such a genteel, nice thing to do. Mm. But when you do it really fast, uh, you're basically <laughs> your head's your headbutting someone. You end up Tyson Fury. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I liked it so much, Xander, uh, that I tried it on the bus the following day on the Sunday, uh, but it didn't work out too well for me, I'm afraid. Little too quickly. Uh, well, the driver almost lost control. <laughs> <laughs> you live and you learn. Now, in terms of the match, uh, the big talking point was Latrell Mitchell. We're going to have to get under the hood of this one. Now, this was obviously going to be a big test for him. The commentators were saying he's going to be short of a gallop because he hasn't been training. Mm. Uh, for me, he looked a bit short of a gentle stroll, Xander, if I'm going to be frank. But how did you see his performance? A little bit like you and everybody else, frankly. I thought it was a an average performance, but I guess it's not to be... Um, you know, like that's not really surprising given it's his first hit out at, at fullback um, and that it was in a pretty fast moving game. But yeah, I, I you know, you, you kind of give him a pass mark, I'd say. I mean, like he had a couple of um, good touches, uh, did put in a good kick for a repeat set, but he also kicked out on the full, um, you know, struggled to find the his his feet uh, positioning himself, I thought, in, on kick returns or a couple he let go. Well, there was one um, particular he let go and they scored. Yep. He let the bomb bounce, yeah. which is a cardinal. I'm going to be less charitable, I'm going to be honest. I know he was short of a gallop fitness-wise, but just that, a real lack of involvement, I thought. Yeah, it wasn't just... Yeah. I'm yeah. learning my positional play. I think he was he was in second or third gear for me. There was once or twice where he sort of came into the play and he had a few good runs, but it was basically when he was sort of running in at centre. Yeah, I know, <laughs> like, right? Um, and all the all the work sort of getting them out of danger was Ado Carr and uh, Blake Ferguson, who were immense through the game for them. Yeah, and Alex Johnson also played well. Yeah, uh, no, Johnson was good. There, which yeah. is interesting because yeah. he's the guy who's basically stealing the number one jersey from at South, so... It was interesting to have that contrast there yeah. side by side. Every time Johnson was running it out, he was making good meterage, whereas uh, Luttrell had to, the, the camera actually had to pan to find him when the ball was rolling around in the in goal. <laughs> Eventually, he sauntered across and threw a flick pass to nobody. He did. He did. Oh, geez, on the he first tackle. He threw a few of them, didn't so he? So he threw, he threw one flick pass that, uh, on the first tackle to nobody. Mm. And uh, he, he just, out of, I think, second receiver, threw a ball straight behind the play. There, there are a couple of good runs, a couple of good kicks. Mm. And I think he helped set up a try. So it was, I, I thought it was literally 50 50. He, okay. he was pure rocks and diamonds. Interestingly, as well, did you notice he went off for a bit? Yeah, well, they had unlimited interchanges, so that's obviously to, to manage the fitness requirements. But he wasn't moving, Xander. How could he be tired? <laughs> that's what I don't understand. Well, he, you he know, had he, a break from not moving. He sprinted like hell to try and stop that first try from the Maoris. He didn't make it, but, you know. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get there, but we're obviously going to give him more than one game before we fully judge him. But for me, it was a... Was what I was expecting. I think I'd probably give him a two to three out of ten for that one. <laughs> oh, brutal <laughs> two to three out of ten. I, honestly, I'm, I'm gen- genuine there <laughs> oh, too. Oh god, that's our opinions, right? But do you think this game would be used by Wayne Bennett as a bit of a road test tool to find out if he really wants Literal Mitchell playing at fullback? Is it too short a time period to base him base that performance on? Yeah, it's too unique a, a circumstance as well. I think because the kind of like the style of play, you know, unlimited interchanges as well. It's it. it 
definitely changes the complexion of the match. Um, and, you know, clearly the reports coming out today are that uh, Bennett isn't shifting his thinking. He's going to play him at fullback in the Charity Shield match this week. Mm. Well, the funny thing about Wayne Bennett is he often portrays a non-shifting thinking until game day. Uh, where he makes these radical switches at the last minute. He's sort of been known for a bit of that. So I'm wondering if... Completely axing a player like Adam Dewey, where he says that, oh, it was my fault, I put him out of position, and then he cuts him. (laughs) Exactly. So he can be quite cantankerous, is what I'm saying. And and I wonder how that will go. Let's play a bit of a thought experiment here. Mm -hmm. If he ends up being cut from the number one and being repositioned to centre, how will Latrell Mitchell take that, do you think? Because really, that's a huge draw card for him going across to the club in the first place. I mean, I don't think he would do it, but... Jeez, it'd be funny. God, it would just be so funny if that happened because, ah, oh, yeah. That's all I got. Fair enough. <laughs> just think, this would be great. During the week on Freddie and the Eighth, uh, Brad Fittler's show with Andrew Johns, they talked about Latrell Mitchell. I think it was in the lead up to the Indigenous game, actually, yep, that this right. program went to air. Uh, but for the record, this is what Joey had to say relating to Latrell Mitchell's move to fullback. He's an out and out centre. Being at fullback dulls his effectiveness. Fullbacks run twice as far. If I was coaching Latrell, I'd bring him into fullback in cameo roles, purely attacking situations like dropouts, scrums and penalties. To me, coming out of his own half, he's wasted doing all that work in the middle of the field. He is the best strike centre in the game. Like for me, Mm. I honestly couldn't agree with that anymore. So do you think there's any scope for Latrell Mitchell potentially playing a non-traditional fullback style role where he's only playing fullback at certain stages in the game? Uh, what, one thing I love, one thing I love about Joey is he's just so forthright. He doesn't, he does not mince his words, and um, he, but he, he doesn't say like when it comes to football, mm. he doesn't say stupid shit. Oh, like, he's one of the most astute guys. In the um, game. And and like I'd never really thought about it. I'm you know obviously not a uh, you know a rugby league immortal, but you know it, it, to me it, if it struck me as a really smart compromise at least to getting him up to speed. Yeah, like he, you know, he could he could end up developing the the level of fitness and and the skill set, but you know, yeah, like using him at his most effective in centre and that that strike that he's had, mm. but then bringing him in in limited ways at fullback seems like to me a, a much uh, safer developmental path for somebody like that, given yeah. the different style of play and also the different fitness requirements that they talk about as well. 100% agree with you. So it's almost like having the training wheels on in a way. Isn't yeah, it? so um, you'd, it makes a whole lot of sense to have him. Play fullback in the in the in the moments in the game that counts, mm. uh, which is those key attacking moments, because he is an attacking weapon at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, where he, we'd say his column has a weakness, mm. it would be endurance, yeah, uh, and and involvement. I don't think there's any any shame in that as well. Like I think that in you know like he's 22. Mm. There's there's nothing wrong with him spending a bit of time transitioning, you know, to, to another gender or. <laughs> So just checking what you were... It's 2020, mate. You've got to be clear on the context. That's all I'm saying. I just was thinking of that South Park episode with Randy Savage recently. Now, another talking point out of the game, Xander, was, of course, the trial of the captain's challenge, uh, along with a few other rules, actually. Um, How did you see that? Because I think, for me, it ended up being a bit of a fizzer. Yeah, well, I mean, I was actually really pleased with it because it was a fizzer. Like, yeah, because you don't kept... really want it, do you? No, I, I, I wanted I just wanted it differently. Yeah. Like, I, my, my view of the captain's challenge was that it should replace the on-field uh, referee's ability to just go to the video rep. 100%. Like, I feel like every, every on-field um, call stays unless it's challenged. Um, that, that's how I wanted it to, to be used, whereas they've, they've gone with this 
pathway of, well, the on-field ref can still go to the video ref, but if there's a, is an absolute clangor, they get 10 seconds to, to make a challenge, which I don't mind, actually. I, I, I think that if you get one and a half and you, you stuff it up, then fine. You've got 10 seconds. You don't have much time to make it. Yeah. And I thought it was, yeah, it was like they, they hadn't really had an opportunity to use it before and they were behind and desperate. So they thought, well, we'll just see. The thing that we're trying to combat, right, is the idea of the too many stoppages in the game. Mm. And it was almost a farcical moment in the game, the Indigenous All-Stars match, where there was a video ref decision that was seemed a bit dubious and people were contemplating whether or not they should reject, go and challenge the video ref which you can't decision, do. which you can't yeah. do. <laughs> that would have been funny, a bunker for the bunker. Exactly. Um, a bunker that has separate camera angles not available to the main bunker. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that this, what you're saying actually yeah. isn't really so very mainstream in the debate around this, right? Because people are either for it or against it on the basis of it slowing down the mm. game or trying to get a decision right. When there is a happy medium here where if you actually implement the captain's challenge, under that system you're talking about where you virtually scrap the video ref, we could actually speed the game up considerably. Yeah, absolutely. I like it for, for that reason and because then if the on-field ref does get it wrong, uh, the use of video ref is so limited that there's less cause for, for, for fans to lose their minds about the video ref stuffing up it as well. And it, then the discussion becomes more about the captains not choosing to challenge it. And the, the onus goes on them and you get less you get less uh, insanity toward directed toward the officials. And I think that's a, a net positive for the game. Do you think there would be ever moments, if that system was implemented the way you're talking about mm. it, where uh, something happens and the captain is more than, say, 80 metres away from the action and mm. he's only got 10 seconds. So there'd be someone like Busted and Broken, like Jake Friend, running on one leg trying to get to the video ref inside the 10 seconds because yeah. that could be quite entertaining. In itself, I imagine they'd, they'd uh, if they were to go through that system, they'd have to mic up the captain so they could. <laughs> they could I don't know if you'd him. want to mic up Jake Friend. He does talk an awful lot out there on the field. You probably wouldn't hear a thing. Oh, you wouldn't understand a thing either. We also trialed a few more rules out. The twenty forty uh, was trialed out during that game as well. Mm. Interestingly, Jack Whiten took a poke at it as well. Remember, we've talked yeah, about the yeah. fact that oh, it's a great rule in theory, but no one will ever have to do it. Well, they did in the nines a fair bit. Uh, in the World Cup nines, anyway. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't see it very much in the... the 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 club nines. No, but the World Cup nines, it was used a, a few times by the Australians, um, to great effect, actually. Yeah. But, um, but Jack White and went for it, and he kicked out in the full. He so did. He was penalised. But he was close, actually. It. He wasn't too far off the mark there. Mm. But, but it just um, showed you how dire that is. Yeah, it's yeah. Of, it's an all or nothing play, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, I don't mind it. Like, I mean, you know, you you're behind. They they. Generally, not going to like first couple of tackles in your twenty minutes. They're not going to have their wingers back mm. if you're an accurate kicker and you need it. Like I mean, it's it's a good gamble. I agree you with know? you. I mean, there, there are obvious advantages to it, and I like the idea of trying to foster a, a culture of mm. of tactics where people are a bit ballsier. They're re they're a bit more risk taking. Yeah, and and, and it creates it adds a, a further tactical kicking element to the game. Mm. Xander, I really love this Indigenous All Stars concept. In fact, so much so that I have an idea for you. Are you sitting down? You are, of course. You're podcasting. If you're standing up, the should whole thing wouldn't should work. Should I stand up? Uh, no, please. You'd, you'd bend the cords. Um, but no, I want to lay this idea on you and see what you think. You don't know what I'm going to say here. In fact, unless you've read our Twitter, you might, because I put this out to a poll. Just looked it up. <laughs> but basically, I love this so much. I thought it, it sort of had this same chord of emotion for me that State of Origin does. And I remember thinking... I had that thought in my head as I'm watching this game with, with gleeful delight, because I go, rub your leagues back, how good's this? And I thought the emotion that these two teams have and, and how much they wanted to win was reflective of origin. And of course, you are playing for your people, right? Which is kind of what origin does as well. And I thought maybe this has legs as a potential origin type 
concept where a three match series. Yeah, we make a three match yeah. series and we also maybe take it on the road because it is such a showpiece. The two games that have been mm. carried out so far have been such a great showpiece for the game as mm. well because both games have been played in a positive, aggressive spirit and it's what rugby league should be. And so I thought, wow, this would be the best thing to take on the road and go to different places. So I did put it out to Twitter, but before we go to the results, how do you, how do you let that marinate? Do you think that's a terrible idea or a good one? No, I, I think you're right. It is a good idea. I think you, you, you um, look at locations uh, strategically. I mean, obviously, you'd, you'd um, look to New Zealand as a uh, place to take it on the road and parts of the country that do have a strong uh, indigenous identity, which South of Queensland like absolutely d- uh, does, and that was kind of reflected in, in the, the turnout. Um, so definitely not in Cronulla then? I don't know, actually. Might, they're, they're mad enough about the, their rugby league, they might still turn up, right? No, they probably turn up, but <clears> it's a <throat> very white place is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's where Anglo met Saxon. <laughs> Shout out to ScoMo. So you don't think it's such a bad idea then? No, I, th- I think it's a good idea. I don't know if you go a full three-match series or something like that. I mean, I was... I was actually really blown away by the intensity. Like the, the Maori were there to play, and I was really surprised. Um, like the all, the Indigenous All Stars were as well, but just the ferocity early on. Yeah, I mean, well, we should was, talk about individuals here, yeah. right? As well, because for me, Zelesniak played yeah. out of his skin yeah. until he got injured. I mean, and there was a couple of big forwards there that a couple I I didn't even know that mm. well that played amazingly. How good was Brandon Smith? That guy's a machine. Like in yeah. fact, he's he's been a machine all the all the way through Just his happens career. To play behind Cam Smith, exactly. In yeah. fact, I I remember when we watched the preliminary final against Melbourne as a Roosters fan, he frightened the shit out of me because yeah. every time he got the ball, he looked like he was breaking going to break the line. We held him up by an inch three times yeah. in that game. Um, I wasn't really afraid of Cameron Smith. I was afraid of Brandon Smith. <laughs> Um, so no, he's a gun, and he's going to be a, a name that we're going to hear a lot more about. I think he has a very unusual head. I'm going to put that. He does out a there. little bit, but yeah. um, no, yeah. I'm not even value judging it. I'm just saying I've never seen a head like his. It's clearly flexible. He gets through a lot of tackles with it. He's almost like a bobblehead. Maybe that center of gravity is a good thing. I'm not sure. So we did put this out to the punters, mate, and we asked: Should the Indigenous All Stars match be made into a best of three series and played in new locations each year? Seventy-nine point four percent said no. So people are very much against it. But again, I don't know if that's because I've wound in two propositions there. Yeah. Which is the idea of taking it to new locations or a best of three series. I have a sense that people are on board with what you're saying, which is mm. I'm not really sold on the best of three, but I, I love the idea of taking it yeah. around. Yeah, I don't know if like the, like the point of the game isn't, you know, I mean, like the, the genesis of State of Origin was a big brother, little brother resentment almost, right? Like mm. that the Queensland... They've got the chip on their shoulder. Yeah, que- Queensland was, was being robbed of their stars and all the rest of it. And so that does sort of engender a level of enmity that... that Help develop the series and and the iconic moments that you kind of see in it, where yeah, you know this they, this, co- this clash would not have that. No, and and, and you know like it, it it's not in that spirit where you know you're really wanting to get one up. It's it's more about the recognition of of the indigenous stars that have made the game what it is. Yeah, okay. And uh, across you know both, and I think it, it is actually quite fair to have it uh, across the the Maori and uh, uh, Aboriginal cultures because there are so many stars across both peoples. Yeah. Um, so it, it feels like it wouldn't be the right spirit almost. But to play maybe one in uh, Australia and one in New Zealand, I feel like would. That's not a bad idea. I hadn't thought about that, actually. Mm. Uh, look, we have some comments below this as well. <laughs> Michael Carbone, big shout out to the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Uh, he said yes to new location each year, no to three game series. So that's bang on point what we're mm. talking about there. This is from Media Watch Mario. G'day, Mario. How you going, mate? He said, extend it, scrap the regular comp and have an entirely racial-based competition. <laughs> Imagine the... Pa- Thinking outside the box, I like it. Imagine the passion. 
um, spelt P-A-S-H-U-N. Thank you, Murray. That confused the shit out of me. <laughs> but I get the point. Um, Hunter Austin said, took the words out of our mouth when he was referring to Michael's comment. Go past that. Uh, Pablo Bill said, in my opinion, scrap it completely and extend the season for a true home and away. Play each other twice each year. That's sort of against Fuck the no. spirit of what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, Pablo Bill. But big shout out. Thanks for getting no, involved. We're not extending the season. We're going to make it one round each. I actually think it should be shortened. I'm, I'm, yeah, I agree. I think it should be shortened to, to do more. The real SJ O'Brien said it should be played in New Zealand next year. So uh, people are sort of are loving the idea of the concept by mm. and large, but they're not for the idea of having three match series. You saw it at the end of the game too, like they were embracing and hugging each other. The, the Maori got up. There was plenty of feeling during the game, but as soon as it finished, it dissolved. Whereas yeah. you don't see that with like an origin game. No, this is a lot, the resentment yeah. remains Simmers, for everyone's yeah. entire <laughs> life, basically. Um, and look, just to, again, touch on the idea of potentially evolving the concept, we could potentially make this a real cultural festival, couldn't we? Like if, wherever the location is, that might be a good idea to have a, basically a, a surrounding festival for mm. both cultures where they, they come and there's cultural entertainment, there's cultural art. So people can really immerse themselves as a spectator in all of the amazing things that both of these cultures offer at the same time and turn it into a celebratory environment around the mm. game itself. How, how does something like that sit with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, building on the concept pretty well if you were able to do that. You would have the opportunity to engage with local Indigenous peoples and, mm. and actually provide like a, a community-led layer to it that yeah. actually would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love even it. And even it. an economic layer, yeah. you know, yeah. because Indigenous yeah. businesses often Benefit. get neglected and that's an obvious, obvious incentive where they get a bit of profile at the same time. Uh, the event could even culminate, Xander, in the annual Slam the Bigot competition. Uh, we could strap Andrew Bolt to a large, flexible piece of vertical timber and then allow James Roberts to put a hit on him from a 100-metre run-in. We could call it the Great Bolt Assault. <laughs> More after this. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, arguably the nation's most tactical and horny septuagenarian, Wayne Bennett, has revealed he'll be departing his role at South Sydney from 2022, implementing a succession plan that will see the current assistant coach, Jason Demetrio, take over. But given what we know about Benny, namely that he eats, breathes, Occasionally does a belated number two and coaches. We're asking on the show today, where to next for Wayne Bennett? Because surely, Xander, he's not the man that's going to retire. Do you have a book? Like, don't let the music die in you or something like that? I'm not aware of it, but it sounds entirely appropriate. Because he'd, he would never get... He'd coach until he carked it. Even then, when he did cark it, he would remain alive just, just enough to man-manage the maggots that would eat his carcass. <laughs> Man managing the maggots. I think he probably liked those. A turn of phrase for his coaching strategy. That should be his next book. Man managing the maggots. But look, rumours are in overdrive, Xander, that he'll be coaching a second team in Brisbane next year. So this is where we thought we'd pick up the discussion, because there's been a lot of murmurs from the news limited press that there has been a, a, an agreement already made that there will be a, a second team in Brisbane from 2023. It's likely to be the Brisbane Bombers Consortium. Uh, that's according to Buzz Rothfield, who's not always a fountain of truth, um, but you know the idea of Wayne Bennett departing his contract, aligning at the same time from a man who never looks like he's ever going to want to retire, it does make you think a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it'd be an interesting um, homecoming if he were to be coaching the second Brisbane side up against Anthony Seabold, who beat him out for the first one. 
Yeah. Um, it's it got a sort of a shade of the hero's journey about it, doesn't it? Like Wayne Bennett started the club. It's his home ground in Brisbane. He got booted out and he's had to sort of go off into the wilderness. And now he has to come back home again to beat Darth Vader, which we can only assume in this weird metaphor is Anthony Seabold. You know, I was about to say, is it really the hero's journey? But you actually made a really good case as to how it fits the... the- Complete uh, architecture. With the, Thank Christ, because I didn't think it was working the, there. For the a narrative of a hero's journey. Yeah, it's like Actually, he's the yeah. Luke. He's the Luke Skywalker of the NRL. He's you know he started out with a challenge. He succeeded, and then he's had setbacks, and then he's had to come home full circle with his mm. new skill set to solve a problem back at home. Well, clearly the Newcastle yeah. Knights chapter was the Empire Strikes Back version because <laughs> that's, that's where he got owned. But apart from that, he's been pretty successful. That was definitely the Nadir, yeah. <laughs> now, um, I guess on the show it's pertinent for us to ask the question, is Wayne Bennett, if there is a new team in Brisbane, is Wayne Bennett the best candidate, Xander? Because there's already been other murmurs that they're chasing Bellyache for the role. Craig yeah, Bell. I'd heard that. So that'd be interesting. I mean, if... You know, if you if you were after a coach up there, you couldn't do better than Bellamy. Like, frankly, you know, as much as respect as you you know you have to give Bennett, I think at this stage of their careers, Bellamy is just uh, out and out the better coach. Do you think though that it's better for the narrative to have Wayne Bennett go up there, considering his he started his career with Brisbane and now he's going to be the inaugural coach of the second Brisbane team to take on the ex- like the establishment? Oh, I think this stage in Brisbane, given he just left the Broncos, um, the narrative that the uh, Brisbane fans will want uh, is the coach that is the most successful uh, in recent history as yeah. opposed to... Like, I, th- I think they're sick of mediocrity up there. Would you call Wayne mediocrity, though? I mean, that's a bit, uh, bit mean, I think. Well, he didn't do much with him when he came back, you know. I mean, he, he did make that grand final, um, but it, it's just been... And if it s- wasn't for one B hunt. I know, I know. Uh, but, you know, ultimately the, the record books don't remember that and they've, they've been pretty disappointing since and it yeah. just seems to have been getting worse. Is that because everyone just remembers Ben Hunt's drop ball? They don't remember even the result. They just go, remember that time that guy fucked up a premiership? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's still one of my favourite memories of NRL. Uh, I, I actually have the it last on decade. Every Sunday I played on loop. Just in my living room. It's amazing. I'm naked. Um, I, I won't go any further, but it's a, it's a great way to spend the, the Sabbath. Just going to leave that there. <laughs> Let that hang there. Look, it's probably an appropriate time to go out to social because we did put four candidates forward and we asked who should be the first coach of the second team in Brisbane. Our candidates were Wayne Bennett, Greg Bellamy, Mao Meninga or Kevin Walters. It was oh, yeah. very, very close between Craig Bellamy and Kevin Walters, interestingly. See, Walters, I could see a case being made for, right? All um, right, paint, paint the case. Because well, I mean, for me, I'm not, he's, an uns, he's an untested quantity at, at, at clubland level. I was thinking more on the, from a narrative standpoint, you know. Right. Another one who was... Who was he in the Star Wars franchise? Is he an Ewok? <laughs> Actually... He looks if, like one. In your Star Wars analogy, he probably would qualify as, you know, a, a bit player. Maybe not an Ewok, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's hand solo. Like he's he's competent, but he's not the guy with the lightsaber that, that you know does the deeds. He's Chewbacca's illegitimate son. <laughs> or one of the guys that got shot with a blaster in the first <laughs> first movie. You know the best part about this is I've never even watched Star Wars <laughs> online. It shows. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who everyone is. I just know oh, I know Yoda. At this point, it's it's not worth liking. Now, but you know what? There was only a fraction of a percent in it. So, thirty-five point nine percent said Kevin Walters, thirty-six point one percent said Craig Bellamy. Maumeninga trailed badly because, as it turns out, he doesn't really know how to coach. He just coached an immortal team at Origin level, and Wayne Bennett only got eighteen and a half percent of the vote. So that yeah. actually, you know, you're well supported in your view there that 
it's not about the narrative. They just want the person they think is going to win. And you know? I, I think, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like Brisbane are done with Bennett in a certain sense, like the public at least. I mean, maybe the administration not so much because you've got, you know, all these other power brokers. I and, thought they'd still love him, you know, because he's won so many premierships for them. I don't know. Even, even among my mates who follow the Broncos, they don't want him. They want, Be- they want uh, Bellamy. Is this just abject ageism at play here, or no? It's 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 simply a reflection of the hunger in Brisbane for somebody who will bloody win something finally. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you it gets to a certain point where you just get sick of losing. Yeah, we have some comments below the poll as well, mate. We should mention as well. Uh, this is from Richard Cranium NRL. He said, "If I was a Titans fan." I'd say Meninga just to piss him off away from the Gold Coast, which <laughs> I think that's a really actually a great point because obviously he's the head of strategy or something there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, head of culture and strategy. Yeah, yeah, which has not worked out yeah. so well He so tipped far, them man. to win the comp last year. Yeah, I know. Amazing. Right? great. What do you think he's actually doing on a day-to-day basis at the Titans, Mal Meninga? Only time I've ever heard from him is when they were chasing Latrell Mitchell unsuccessfully. Like, it was interesting listening to the analysis of, of him and, and some of the others on Fox in the All-Stars game last night because... Mm. Um, Strangely, the person who picked the way the game w- would go was Mick Ennis. He had the most astute analysis. Yeah, he, right. He, like, I didn't think remotely the, the Maori were a chance of chasing them down, but he's like, no, I can see they've got something coming. They're going to they're gonna win this game. He was right, and everyone else thought the, um, the uh, Indigenous All-Stars were going to win, I think. He probably had 5K on the live bet. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it seems like astute analysis. It's just a hopeless gambling addict. Point being, yeah, Mal Meninga was on there... Um, Everything seemed to be a, a hedged bet in everything he said, even even down to Latrell Mitchell, where he came up with a lot of euphemisms that, that qualified as he wasn't impressed, but he didn't want to bag him too much. So, can a bit you give like me... the way I analyse the game, actually. <laughs> exactly. Now, we also had something here from uh, Media Watch Mario again. He said, Mao Meninga, I want them to fail. Good point. Uh, this is from Giannis Mateus. We should name the new team the Brisbane Mythbusters. Simply put up coaches and players who are frauds. We just need to prove it. Mao being the coach, Walter's the assistant, Anasta the club ambassador, and foreign captain and Moylan fullback. So basically, the Legion of the Lost. Ah, I like it. Parco, at Parco23, he said Michael Hagen, interestingly, uh, the former Newcastle yeah. Knights coach, be a proud Queenslander, he's coached Origin, I believe. I don't think I'm making that it's up. It's been a while though, hasn't it? It has been a long yeah. time. And the guy has no noticeable jawline. Well, whatever happened to the... Um which makes uh, me mistrust him. The the guys who coached the um, Ipswich Jets. Oh, the Walker brothers. Yeah, whatever happened to them? Um, they're still alive. Because I mean, they were, they were like the talk of um, the coaching community a couple of years back. They had yeah, all these because they were winning back then. They were they were winning, and they had all these innovative like styles of play and you yeah, know, ultra attacking, yeah. aggressive. Uh, yeah. It was all about possession, hands on the ball. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then eventually they just kept losing possession because they were being so aggressive, and right. they they got pumped. <laughs> okay, so so, I, wondered, I wondered why they fell off the cliff. <laughs> so, I mean, but there's honestly probably something in the way that they coach. Maybe mm. that just has to be tempered slightly uh, away from sheer insanity. Um, but, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because someone did put down the Walker Brothers. There was a lot of Tommy Radonikuses, interestingly, as well, uh, which is weird because he's a proud New South Welshman. Um, now, this is an interesting one. We're interesting in so far as I don't know who it is. So I want you to look it up live. Ross Strudwick, that comes from Big Jim 618. Thanks, Big Jim. Who the fuck is Ross Strudwick? That's S-T-R-U-D-W-I-C-K, first name Ross. Australian coach, let's see. There you go. Ross Strudwick is an Australian former rugby league footballer and coach, an Australian international in New South Wales and Queensland representative halfback in the 1970s. Uh, He's 70 years old. 
Um, Younger than Benny. Yeah. He played club football uh, in New South Wales for St. George uh, in the Brisbane Rugby League uh, competition for Fortitude Valley. So he could be a legit. I thought it yeah. was a piss take answer, but that could be a legitimate. He later embarked on a coaching career in Queensland and England. Where okay, did he, where did he last coach? Well, maybe that's just a blind spot. I don't well, know who he is. The last team he coached was the the London Crusaders in the 19, <laughs> 1993. So he's had. It, so be, he's been out of out of action for a little while. <laughs> this is like one of your suggestions, actually. Now that I think about it, we appreciate your thoughts anyway, Big Jib. Uh, look, we had some Anthony Griffin, some Ivan Henjax. There's a lot of people who had an opinion, but it's very interesting, and we probably should move forward now from the coaching candidates and just talk about a second team in Brisbane more broadly, Xander. Should we be bringing in a second team in Brisbane next? I'm, I'm inclined to say yes, but for me, I'd love to see two new additions. Mm. From what I understand, they're going to add just the Brisbane team and that's it, bringing us to an odd number in the competition to be 17 teams. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think um, I'd, I'd, I think it would be better to add in two new locations. I mean, I've always been a little bit iffy about adding Brisbane as the next port of call. I understand the logic for it and all this. And so you... You you always have a, a like you have a, a Brisbane team for a, a massive market like that to uh, to follow, um, you know, through more of the round effectively, yeah. um, and and that does make a fair bit of sense. But I also do like the idea of expanding into new markets and do wonder about you know I know that Volandis hates the idea of taking it to Perth and I heard some comments bagging out the nines and the the attendance as being a reflection of the fact that there shouldn't be a side in Perth, but I kind of feel like that's a little bit chicken and egg. Mm. I think maybe bagging the, the city out and then putting shit scheduling mm. uh, doesn't help the situation. So um, you're thinking maybe a second team in Brisbane and a Perth team? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind uh, uh, Perth and, and uh, Brisbane too. That said, and I've spoken about this as well, I, I do wonder about um, the option of uh, a New Zealand second side and also uh, a second Melbourne side at some point. Well, we'll discuss that, I think, in another show, Xander. I'd never heard of the concept of another Melbourne team, but you were actually talking to me before the show and you were half by selling me on it. So we'll have to talk about that again and have give it its dues in, mm. a, in a, its own segment. But I am interested to know from you what that Brisbane identity should be. It does appear as though the Brisbane Bombers is the leading uh, consortium. From your reading, is that the kind of franchise identity you'd want in that city? Do you think the Bombers should be the one? It, it strikes me as being a bit kind of American or a bit... Bit corporate, the bombers. Uh, yeah, but so are the Broncos. I mean, we don't actually have, we don't call them Broncos in Australia. We call them Brumbies. I know. Which, uh, and Canberra the Cowboys took the, as well yeah. for North Queensland. Yeah, so I'm not saying yeah. it's unprecedented, but I'm it's just kind saying of on brand for Brisbane, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's you on know? brand for Queensland. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe they should uh, call them the Buffaloes. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, it is an odd one. Uh, but the Bombers, do you, do you agree with that being the. I mean, what would you have instead? The Bastards. <laughs> the Brisbane, Brisbane Bastards. <laughs> On brand, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just something starting with B. Um, yeah, I don't know. To be honest, um, it's it's a weird one. And I've asked friends of mine from Brisbane this like a number of times. If you were to, because I mean, with Sydney and and Melbourne and um, uh, you know other cities, you know there are clear demographic dividing geographical lines mm. in a lot of cities. And Sydney, you know, it's you, there's a, there's about five of them. Yeah, um, they're really entrenched, clear ones. Yeah. yeah, you know. Whereas for Brisbane, I don't actually understand it. You know, from an identity standpoint, people kind of tell me there isn't. Yeah. Um. So I wonder, like, how do you craft that identity? I isn't mean, the idea that it would potentially have to sort of sway well south of the city itself? Because I've heard the argument that you know we could maybe punt the Titans, and this, this team could actually mm. incorporate that region as well. So they take the sort of whole of the southeast state, mm. south of Brisbane. 
that would give it more of an identity shift, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe, but is it still Brisbane? Yeah. I mean, like, more, I, I, more I wonder. South Queensland, isn't it? Like, do you know, do you, do you go down the soccer route and call them Brisbane City and, and make them the elites? No, I hate that stuff. I, I don't get that, you know. One's United and one's the city. Yeah, although I don't, I'm not really a fan of Sydney Roosters, actually. I'd prefer we go back to the Eastern Suburbs Roosters as well. Yeah, yeah I've, I've Bit pushed ambiguous. that. But, yeah. um, but we're apparently never going to do that. Mm. Although I did hear Nick Politis talk about it on Roosters Radio yeah, Podcast. I heard that one. Yeah, and he was talking about the fact if they ever changed it... They'd go to Bondi. It would be the Bondi Roosters yeah, because I, of brand recognition. That's I have much mo- worse. I have more of a problem with th- that than staying Sydney. I would definitely yeah. stay Sydney over just uh, Bondi Roosters. I, mean, I don't know why. I mean, you could you could just say Easter... Take me back to the <laughs> sweet <laughs> life. You could you could say, like, if we were that from the start, but, I mean, it feels it feels trite to do it now. Like, Collingwood's, what, I think, four suburb like, four blocks of a suburb. It's tiny. Um, but it, you know, has that massive history and brand recognition. For example, in the AFL, Bondi just feel it feel, would feel like another one of those marketing gimmicks, and we don't need to do it. On the Brisbane front, um, how are the old Brisbane Leprechauns doing? <laughs> because they're meant to be three distinct franchises, right? You actually taught me about one of them. So you've got the Brisbane Brothers, yeah, the Brisbane yeah. Bombers, and the Brisbane Leprechauns. Big shout out to the Leprechauns. Please get in touch with the Voluntary Tack. We'd like to hear more about you and why the fuck you think a Leprechaun should be the mascot for the Brisbane South. I totally forgot that we hit, we spoke about that. Yeah, that is, that is, is great an, though. such an unusual angle to take on it. Um, as we said, quite rightly, more the Brisbane Peter Dinklage's. I think would probably be more contemporary. You know, I've just tried to look it up again, and the first thing that's come up on Google is Leprechaun Plumbing, Brisbane. Okay, so it's no longer a thing. So I'll take back that shout out. Because you're obviously not going to get in touch with the show because you don't exist anymore. And I'll, I'll just say this, for good reason, because it was, a, it was a silly idea. But the Brisbane Brothers seemed to have a lot more merit. You said that was more of a grassroots approach to having another team in Brisbane rather than the Bombers is a bit more corporate. Do you have any decided opinions on that? Would you rather see the Bombers or the Brothers? I mean, after we discussed that last time, I did look into it and a few people kind of corrected me on They said it was, it was a sort of a, a groundswell, like a, you know, organising group that wasn't actually a firm bid. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, something else. It's going to be just the Bombers then. Yeah. We'll wrap up this conversation with this question. If you were to start the team, which players would you recruit to start the side? If you needed to have a competitive Brisbane Bombers team in 2023, who would you choose to lead the side? I'm going to put the first one out there. Cameron Smith's swan song. He'd be like 55 by that point. <laughs> um, He'd be 40-odd, wouldn't he? I know I, that's pushing it, but maybe for one year just to be the sort of Cooper Cronk role where he barely yeah. touches it, but he's there as a mentor more than anything else. I'd, I'd absolutely... I mean, you'd, I'd bring him in maybe as, a, as, as part of the coaching staff. Um, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd pick a guy like Brandon Smith if I could. That's uh, a good you know, one, yeah. Like straight out of um, out of the the storm setup, but probably I'd probably take a bit from the storm setup because they are all Brisbane juniors, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, I'd, I'd be keen to. Um, uh, you just rape and pillage the Melbourne Storm, would you? Yeah, and you'd <laughs> even take their coach Bellamy. Absolutely, yeah, leave fantastic. Them, what leave would them the up. Melbourne Storm be left with? <laughs> you know what? I, I somehow see them still kicking ass, and just because they've got such a good development system, like they probably <laughs> just have a bunch of no names, and they'd just be awesome. It's like how Pappenhausen came out of nowhere. They're like, oh yeah, they've lost Slater, and you know, they yep. throw him in, and he's just amazing. Yeah, it just becomes Pappenhausen versus the rest. <laughs> Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, the World Club Challenge took place over the weekend, Zender, and it saw the Sydney Roosters take out its fifth world champions title, winning more than any other club. 
<clears throat> just thought I had to put that in there. The Chooks took on a fiery St. Helens club in front of a pretty partisan crowd and referee, uh, but emerged victorious <laughs> 20 points to 12 regardless. But how did you see the game, mate? Did you obviously got up at the crack of dawn to watch it like I did? How was the fucking referee? Jesus Christ. I mean... He was scared of the crowd, you know. That. It was it was funny. Like there, he, he was 12. He was whistle. He did look 12. But he, he had he had the voice of um, a Guy Ritchie uh, villain. Like, it was really funny because he, he did look like he was 12 years old. But you just heard this sort of hoarse, um, like, Cockney British accent. You know, Sounded like Jason Daniel! Whenever ever Daniel Tupo got the ball, you know. I, I could listen to that impression yeah. all day. But it was weird. Like, you heard him. I'm like, fuck, he doesn't sound like he looks. Anyway, um, <laughs> he was pretty whistle-happy there, wasn't he? I thought, like, he penalised... He, he called a lot of silly penalties, I thought. But there were a number of just ridiculous calls against us. He, he penalised Hargraves for pushing off a tackler. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, what the fuck are you doing? I think they just looked at the Hargraves and went, I think I should penalise like, him. You know, he, he has that head. It was that the fourth tackle, though. We were in attack. They were, he was being crowded, so he got rid of a, one of the St. Helens players, and he penalised the Roosters and gave St. Helens the ball. And you're just like, what are you thinking? No, I genuinely think he was intimidated by the crowd. But this is part of the contest in itself, isn't mm. it? I mean, another actor in this whole thing is the England environment, it's the English crowd, it's the fact it's so cold. <laughs> Until you start scoring, <laughs> in which case it's, they're not worth much. The score probably belied the game a little bit. That was a close contest, uh, the St. Helens Roosters game. And one thing yeah. about that team is they had this giant pack of forwards. We'll talk about one in particular who's coming to the Bulldogs next year who had a Larry great Luke game. Thompson. Yeah, he had a, an amazing game. But, um, you know, they were basically trying to rough us up for about 20 minutes of each half. Thankfully, they weren't particularly fit uh, so they did kind of tire out a little bit. We actually got them in the back end of most, in both of those halves. It, it was interesting, actually. I was watching it, I think I was, I don't know if I texted you, but I was worried in the first 20 minutes. I kind of thought, geez, we look a little lethargic and they were all over us. Um, but the Roosters, you know, as they did actually in a lot of games last year, they kind of, they felt their way into the game a little bit and they just, they, they seemed to have paced themselves, which was quite like, you know, encouraging to watch. I thought we, we leaked two tries, but one was when the result was well and truly decided. The first was while we were still kind of finding our feet with the the uh, the fourteenth man referee that yeah. St Helens had. One thing about that team, the St Helens didn't have great goal line defence. I've noticed, um, every, mm. but it was very rare for us to actually get down into their red zone. But every time we were in that red yeah, we zone, scored. we looked yeah. like we were going to yeah. score. So that's where yeah. we bombed about three tries too. It could have been, it could easily have been thirty to six or something. They bombed about three as well, though. To be fair, so it was an interesting game in that sense. In fact, thank goodness their wingers playing. I don't. Don't forget his name, Markson or something. He dropped the ball with the line open about three times. Uh, yeah, that's right. Who, who was it? Thank was God it? he was playing. <laughs> uh, but it was usually on the back of their 19th set of six off the back of shitty penalties that didn't exist. Uh, but it was our first look at Kyle Flanagan as well in the, yeah. in the tricolours. Um, how did you think he went? I thought he had a really good game, apart from hitting the, the upright and the, the crossbar. Two hard kicks, to be fair. Yeah, he was um, none from three on the night. I know, but, um, you know, he, I, I thought he, he had some really deft touches. Yeah, he was actually immense in defence. Yeah, I think defensively um, is where I noticed him the most. Yeah. He was solid with the ball. I think, I think this year for the Roosters, it's not going to be about expecting Kyle Flanagan to lead the team. I think it's Luke Keary's team now. Yeah. Um, but he, he, he provides exactly what Luke Keary needs in somebody who can play structure and be strong in defence. Yeah, well, hopefully he can. I mean, I've only looked at him in our colours for the one game, but I did actually quite like what I saw when he played for the Sharks. I was actually very surprised they let him go. Mm. No, I mean, I, I, was, I was really, really interested to see how he was going to go in this, this hit out. 
He delivered a particularly nice cut-out ball to Manu. He did. How good was it? Yeah. And Manu just, you know, like iced it like nothing else. No, He he had a great game, Manu, by the way. That that ceiling try where he took four or five guys over the line... (laughs) Um, that was pretty yeah. special. Don't don't slide defence on the light against Joseph Manu. No. <laughs> Just but a was, pro tip out there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how he managed to get that ball <clears> down. It was quite amazing. Now Luke Keary interestingly got the man of the match. Mm. Uh, for me, it was all about Jake Friend. I thought Keary had a, a great touches. Yeah, uh, and he made some errors. He was sort of a bit of a mixed bag. Played game. Played incredible support and scored a pretty critical try out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. But Jake Friend tackled his heart out, especially in a game where it was so forward dominated. Uh, it was a it was a, an impassioned game, a messy game at times, and there were these big forwards running. They're about the size of Sam Burgess, running relentlessly into Jake Friend all game. And for a guy who only played about five games last year, geez, he was immense in defence. Oh yeah, he had, he had a blinder. He's kicking game as well. He kicked early a few times. It was mm. always good tactic, grass. by the way. Yeah, against the big boys, turned them around. Um, no, I, I thought he had he had an absolute blinder. And so did um, uh, Satili Tupanua, I thought, who came in for Boyd Cordner. I thought he had a really, really high-energy game. Yeah, you know, he disappointed me a little bit. It's funny oh, yeah? you say that because like, he came up with a whole bag of errors. They played him at centre initially um, to replace Mitchell, which is interesting. I never thought about him because yeah, yeah. everyone was talking about Angus Crichton playing that role. And well, Crichton got knocked out as well, so they had to... Yeah, although, but he started there. So so Crichton came off. I think he came on the bench. Came off on the bench and he got knocked out. Mm. Uh, but he he actually got knocked out uh, replacing Tupanua at centre. I think Robbo did a switch. Yeah, right. During okay. the game, I actually didn't even notice that watching the game. I yeah. thought I thought uh, Crichton had been on the whole time, and I kept looking for him. <laughs> Crichton, thinking, geez, he's not having a very good game. Crichton won't remember that win. I don't yeah. think he was knocked out cold by a hip. I think the thinking there was that Crichton might be a replacement centre which I thought maybe that'll work, but he's mm. not very fast laterally. I no. worry about him playing centre, and Tupinu was more of a, a high-energy fit, mm. as you say, but, geez, he was um, putting some pressure on his hands, and he dropped a bit. He, he decked about four balls. I, I didn't think he dropped that many, but I, I thought every time I saw him run into contact, he just absolutely threw everything at it. I, yeah, he's a 110% yeah. player. That's the one thing about him. He goes it in fast forward, mm. but I think he just needs to learn to not put so much pressure on the catch each and every time because yeah. he... Yeah was decking too many. Um, so there just was, choosing your moments, basically. There were a few errors in that game. I guess I'd, I didn't really single him out as much. I didn't notice it, it being yeah, specifically him. But the, the completion rates for both sides weren't stellar. They were about 70-odd yeah. percent. Yeah, ball's a messy game. Yeah. But they were hitting hard. They were. And yeah. it was not the best conditions. Apparently, it had been almost cyclonic Yeah, right. Um, during the, the night, yeah. during the day of that game. So they actually got a window of time in, in between the hurricane to play, uh, which was fortunate for us. Um, now, Flanagan goal-kicking, you touched on it before, but he was none from three. I found something really cruel that happened during the game. They were all from the sideline. Right? Yeah, they as were. You, as yeah. you mentioned, he hit the timber twice. Yeah. Really tough kicks, tough conditions. They finally scored underneath the sticks, and they let Tikiahu kick the ball. Like, give him that kick for confidence. He's on the field. He's finally got an easy one, and they take it off him. Yeah, it was pretty funny. They just like, oh, Kyle, uh, next week, um, <laughs> you're going to let uh, TKO handle it. Has he still got the Sharks monkey on his shoulder? Because probably remember Sharks last year had broke all records for missing conversions. And they had oh, about they did five too, didn't goal they? kickers. Yeah. Flanagan was one of the guys yeah, missing. Yeah. Never by a long way. Yeah. A lot of their kicks were never by big margins. It's not like they're all shanking them. Mm. But they just missed a remarkably high amount of kicks. Yeah, it was a statistical anomaly, I think, mm. you know, the way it worked out. Uh, I mean, you know, 
his kicks uh, as well. Like, as you said, two of them were from the sideline. And the one that hit the crossbar, it basically hit the black dot. It did. Like, it was a yeah. perfect kick if it was just, like, you know, a, literally a centimetre further. Yeah. But um, it, we should mention Luke Thompson. He's coming to the Dogs in 2021. Gee whiz, it's the first time I've mm. really got to look at this English forward. Young guy, built like a brick shithouse, and he really gave it to Tikiaho and Hargraves. Yeah, though, I said, I th- you know, like, they, they, they said that, but I thought that Hargraves... Got he better at that battle. Like Hargraves played amazingly. Like but he, he, but he's was, a shock absorber in all, in that yeah. game in a lot of ways because these two. He was working in tandem, Thompson, with his other mm. forward there, and they were both carting it up, getting. You'd have to say, arguably, mm. getting over the advantage slightly. They did. I mean, there, there were some there were some interesting battles though. Like I thought, you know, Hargraves and uh, Takeo handled that pretty well. And then when um, uh, Collins came on, like he put on a, a couple of massive runs and really knocked the crap out of some of those English forwards. There was I'm a one fan in of particular. Him now, actually, oh, he's brilliant. Like I think uh, Polita said it um, during the week or at some point that he's going to play Origin for Queensland yeah, in a couple right. of years. So he could be the next Aiden Guerra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Now, um, interesting talking point out of the game was Trent Robinson's proposed ideas. Andy, you're probably aware of this. He wants to see the World Club Challenge concept formalised where English sides would host three games for every one game hosted in Australia, and he wants it to be have its own spot on the calendar. Um, how do you feel about that? Because I think people are a bit, it's a bit of a polarising game for people. A lot of people don't really give a shit about it, whereas other people feel a bit passionately about it. Do you think it deserves a spot on the calendar? Because as we know, that calendar is getting like, progressively more full each year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the record as being a big fan of the concept. Um, Is that because we win them all the time? No, I, I genuinely like seeing the, like, I like the idea of having, you know, kind of, this is the closest thing you kind of get to like a Super Bowl, right, you know, um, where it's uh, the champions of the NRL playing the champions of the Super League. It's, it's, just, it's an imperfect match because mm. it's played at the beginning of the next season. They're into their season. We haven't started ours. They've so had yeah. changes in playing personnel and all the rest of it. Um, and in the case of St. Helens, a change of coach. And then but the winner of that game goes off to play the winner of Zimbabwe's comp. I think that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, no, they, they actually just put them all on the field together and so you can score the most tries. Um, <laughs> you just get 34 players together chess. and kick the shit out of Mugabe's carcass. <laughs> Be an interesting TV show. I, I think it deserves its own spot, like in the mm. calendar, absolutely. I think the tricky thing is when do you play it? Like I, I've always liked the idea of actually playing it still at the end of the season with the, the full... Uh, roster, but it is whose season? Our season. Well, I mean, they both finish around the same time, right? Because um, they play through. There's the an summer. overlap, though, isn't it? It's not the exact same time. No, it's not. Like, so I think one of them finishes, you know, a week or so before the other. I think the the Super League final was played a week after ours yep. last year. Um, it's it's hard because it, you know it, it's it's been an exhibition game that is played at an awkward spot because you can't really have a genuine champion team versus champion team because they're going into representative season straight after that. Mm. Um, so where do you put it? How do you solve it? it it's, do you play it on Boxing Day? It's a hard one, right? I mean, you're, there's almost a case to be made for putting it like a month after um, the, uh, the, like the NRL grand final, so maybe three weeks after theirs. Yeah, see, so I, it's hard. I, it's hard because I see the problem with that being that people will go, well, I don't want you to get injured before you play for Australia. Yeah. And if people see playing for Australia as one of the highest mantles... Will they want to potentially preserve their body? Yeah, it's yeah, same with England. It, Maybe it, this is the problem. Maybe this is why people lack the investment in yeah. it because they can't find a proper spot on the calendar to house it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a wicked problem. <laughs> well, mate, we did put this one out to Twitter and we asked, 
Should there be more investment on behalf of the NRL and the English Super League to help promote the World Club mm. Challenge? Uh, 52% said yes, while 48% said no. So people are pretty divided yeah. even, even there. It just shows you how split people mm. are on it. Yeah, it's difficult. Maybe maybe it's one of those things where you, you almost need like a, a, a separate concept for a World Club Championship that takes place um, every few years, almost like a Club World Cup, and you, mm. you have it as a knockout competition, which they kind of tried with the expanded format. It yeah. didn't work too well. That, that, that sort of, exactly, that brought up memories of yeah. the time they had three randomly picked teams play each other. Even teams that didn't make the eight yeah, that's were right. playing in it, which was very odd. From 14, 2014 to 2017, I think it was. Did they do that more than one year? Yeah, they did it three years in a row. The Roosters played in all of them. We never lost a game. Mm. Yeah. But I think St. George fared badly because <laughs> I think they were dominant at the time and they were chosen a few times. I think they were choos- mm. almost chosen on the basis of the fact that they had maybe more marketability as a club yeah, yeah. in England and it was well, about exposure. It was, an, it was an opt-in thing too, right? Like it was um, uh, something that, you know, they, they invited clubs mm. that did have those strong like foundations but they'd have to, you know, actually actively go you for it. Yeah, to RSVP. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But <laughs> the NRL clubs, like, just, it was a bit embarrassing. They, they really thumped the English opposition. Well, we have a few comments beneath the poll we should read out. This is from Jeff Smith. He said, it's on the other side of the world. No need to promote it here unless it's played here. So there's a very parochial point of view. Um, the point would be to promote it and take turns, says Rooster. Um, Samuel Bayless says the NRL should make an effort to get it played over here more. So we're getting a bit of a common theme. Mm. Um, this I thought was a particularly poignant point. This is from Cruzy at a Cruzy said it's a crock of shit. Welcome back to the show. Well, something new's happening. It's Xander's newsflash. Now, I've just signaled to Xander to do some kind of music, and I've just uh, figured out that that's a ridiculous thing to have <laughs> assumed that Xander should do. <laughs> Didn't have it on the phone ready no, to play. he just shrugged his shoulders and said, um, you dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I thought I prepared for the show, but did I actually have to like put some music together for this? I'll tell you what, um, I'll put some music on now, yeah. see if we fuck that up. Now's your time. What, what can you tell us? You've had some breaking news come across your desk. So the breaking news uh, that's come across my desk and, and your desk, frankly, at this it's point. It's the same desk. The same desk. Yeah, that's right. Um, more a glass table, really. Mm. But anyway, um, so the news is apparently everybody's contracted to play with the Sydney Roosters. There is so much news at the moment <laughs> about everyone being linked to our club. But what's the latest? So the latest uh, well, over the weekend, geez, it was a busy weekend for the Roosters. Apparently, we're on the verge of signing uh, Israel Folau, Ardi Savia from the All Blacks. And potentially David Warner. Okay, so there's an eclectic bunch of people right there. <laughs> it is, isn't um, it? All of, I mean, I don't know much about. I the mean, run- it's a good good sign that we're that attractive in a club that we have we have people from all walks of life. Maybe Tyson Fury's next. <laughs> Literally every sport. Um, well, can I start by just inquiring about these? I'm just going to be a bit of a Q and A session because I don't know about this stuff. Um, Dave Warner, what's he going to do for the club? I assume it's not play. Well. Interestingly enough, in the context of the World Club Challenge and the, the kicking woes of Kyle Flanagan, um, he was showing off his uh, place-kicking skills and 
basically nailing a couple of um, uh, sideline goals uh, in Pretoria. I did see that on yeah. Twitter. It was impressive. His form was bloody good. So he's put an Instagram video together, yeah. said, I'm good at this, and now he wants an NRL contract, well, does he? he? He said, shout out to Nick Pilatus or something like that. Mm. Happy to come in and help you kick goals. There you go, because yeah. we know Pilatus is on the gram. That's right. I mean, he's a, he's he a mad user. It. You know, always putting in beach photos and topless shirt, you know. Yeah, he's always selling his own suntan. That's right. Uh, gives him that excellent it's Greek leather. glow. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, well, okay. I know that uh, obviously we, uh, people may not know this. We shouldn't say obviously, but um, we may have uh, went to the same school as Dave yes, Warner. Right. I don't know if that gives away too much about us or not. Um, for, <laughs> should I tell the story? Yeah, go for your right. Uh, well, the, you know, the big story about Dave Warner uh, from our point of view was the fact that uh, it was a bit of a hierarchy at our school and it was only one cricket net, basically, for the entire school. It wasn't, it wasn't well off. And it was basically the oldest kids got to dominate the cricket net. And a young Dave Warner, who was probably uh, a few years below us at school, um, often wanted to play with the older kids because he was very good at cricket, as it turns out. Uh, of course, we said... No, fuck off, Dave. We don't want you. And in hindsight, uh, we shouldn't have said, by the way, your head looks like a fetus. We should never have said that either. Yeah. Uh, in so hindsight, we should have been his friend. Potentially why he hasn't come on the show. <laughs> no, I don't think even this segment alone has definitely blown any chance of that. But do you think that there's any merit? Would Robertson, given his history of negotiating with all sports from all walks of life, would he potentially get Dave Warner to come along and show Flanagan how to kick? Because he is none from 17. <laughs> I think Robbo, look, I mean, I don't think you'd have any trouble whatsoever. Um, turns out that Warner and Steve Smith and uh, also Adam Zampa are Mad Roosters fans, so they've apparently all been in the sheds with the team. I'm sure they'd be happy to lend their kicking uh, tips to, to the likes of Flanagan and others. I hope so, mate, because that's got to improve. Um, and what about this rugby union guy? As a person who knows fuck all about rugby union, tell me about him. Who is he and do we even want him? Uh, Adi Savir, he's the number seven uh, flanker for the, the All Blacks pretty well um, on the verge of being named, I think, the best player in the world last year. How old is he? 26. Okay, so he's still primed so if he came around now. So he's young, and he said, like, on some podcast in New Zealand um, that... Mate, we don't mention rival podcasts, <laughs> even in other countries. Um, but uh, he's good mates with Sonny Bill, who he won two World Cups with, obviously. You know, he's inspired by the fact that he's able to go and, and, and be successful in both codes, and he does want to challenge himself, mm. um, and that he, if he does go to rugby league, he'd like to go to a successful um, established setup like the Storm or the Roosters to give himself the best shot at winning something. Now, that's funny because I've only just seen this news story. You've put it on to me now and I saw the quote and I saw that very quote, mm. but I also saw another one that said, I'm afraid at the moment I've got a serious knee injury. Uh, <laughs> so does that kind of make it a bit of a non-story? Because, I mean, how well, serious is Well, he's contracted to New Zealand in, in, until the end of um, uh, next year, until the Hurricanes, I think. So how early could he potentially be playing in the NRL? So well, he could, I mean, like theoretically, he could be... Uh, release next year to play. Right. Right. Okay. So, so it could be in twenty twenty. And you know, he he'd be a pretty bloody effective edge forward. He's a he's a big um, effective forward in in rugby. I mean, the the skill set of a a flanker um, is very different to a a forward in rugby league. Hmm. But you know, he he's the kind of guy who'd who'd make a success of it. So Israel Folau also linked to the club, mate. Hmm. Um, surely that's a G up, right? Why would the Roosters organization? even take the risk of having someone that could hurt the brand. I yeah. shouldn't talk about my club like it's a brand. I feel like it's such a corporate shill, but... It's um, true, though. I mean, like, you've got a club that's based, uh, you know, in in uh, Bondi and Paddington, Darlinghurst area of Eastern Sydney. It, 
It doesn't see too it, many. The demographic gay doesn't lend itself to um, you know homo hating uh, religious nutbags. Yeah. Um, this was a club that uh, for several years had Macho Man as its theme tune yeah. on the ground. I think we should bring it back if Izzy comes along. I think so too. <laughs> we're very basically we're gay friendly as a club, which Just, is great. And it would have been better even to be back in the day. We could have lured the signature of Ian Roberts because he was a fucking good player. He, bloody was. Yeah, um, yeah I, it's one of those. It was a it was a Buzz Rothfield rumor, so it's probably nonsense he's probably again just wiped his ass on the paper and a bit like one of those Rorschach tests he eventually makes text from it just had too much to drink I think you know um but what does my Jackson Pollock-esque <laughs> excrement look like today very yeah I mean it's I wouldn't be graphic. surprised um but no I, I I can't I mean I know I know Robinson knows him personally mm. and um like the Tupo admires his, his skills and all the rest of it. Does but Robinson not know anyone? Well, I mean, he, he played for the Waratahs, right? And they, they basically use the same training facilities. I feel like he knows everyone, though. Have you noticed that? Like, there's, it, there's no sporting yeah. connection. And another thing that I've noticed about Robinson, right, is the fact that he seems to watch every fucking sport available. Yeah. And yeah. he takes lessons from it. He's like the Dustin Hoffman Rayman character of sport. Like, he's absorbing them all like a savant and then pushing it into one neat algorithm. Well, I mean... You know, to be fair, it's it's not an uncommon thing, right? Like you hear about it all the time. Like Bellamy spent a ton of time with the All Blacks, and mm. you know, uh, went over to the states to watch you know American football uh, pros at it. And mm. Robinson, it seems and to pa- be Paul McGregor's hanging out with the national curling team of yeah. Canada. The successful ones do it. Um, I do feel like some of the the less successful coaches probably think it's a waste of time. Mm. They yeah. probably go, "I'll stick to rugby league." Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, and well, I see the merit in both, but yeah. I, I feel like you can potentially. Um, stretch your resources a bit thin by Going chasing the merits of every sport. Yeah, exactly. Although he's big on it, and you got, can't argue. He's with won the two premierships in a row. Exactly. I the mean, results <laughs> speak for themselves. So it's 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 not hurting us. Mm. We'll put it that way. Um, but, you know, I think you, you look at it holistically. You're obviously not going to a place like Barcelona to learn how to pass. No. You're looking about the organisation. Yeah, you're going there to throw a tomato uh, at someone. You know, but uh, there, there are big, big successful organisations have structures and, and, and uh, I, I think cultural approaches to maintaining, maintaining excellence that you can absolutely take lessons from. So you think Israel Folau, is there a legitimate chance he'll end up at Bondi? I don't think so. I don't. I don't see. He's not needed. We're not. We're not in need of a uh, an effective winger right mm. now, um, or fullback for that matter. Okay. Well, that would actually put him in the frame, wouldn't it? Because he hasn't been effective for years. <laughs> I think if um, if there's anything we should do with Israel Folau, it should be one of these contra deals, right? Where we go, all right, we'll let you play for the club Israel, uh, but you have to stand on two or three of the floats at the Sydney Mardi Gras, and if you're willing to do that, then you can come and play wing. I think you should give him his own float at the Mardi Gras, actually. I'm sure he'll have a yeah. float. He'll have one of those satirical floats where everyone's dressed up like Israel Folau, which would be awkward if they're white men because then it'd be blackface. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the time of the show where we start reviewing teams, Xander. And uh, we're, as we make our way up the ladder, which is the 2019 ladder that we're making our way up, we're actually starting to get into some serious heavyweights for the competition, aren't we? Yeah, I think, I think uh, now it's getting a bit interesting. So we're going to start with the Parramatta Eels, who had a pretty successful season last year, it has to be said. They've been, if you're going to take their last five years, the Parramatta Eels have been a bit a bit of a wayward Disappointing. Team. <laughs> well, they've been very good and then missing the eight, very good missing the eight. Mm. They'll have to buck the trend because they were quite good last year, but I get a, I get a sense they will. They haven't really lost anyone who's going to be a major dent 
to their campaign. Um, you've, you've lost the likes of Tim Manor, Matt McKilrick, Josh Hoffman. I mean, these aren't the guys that you're going to really cry about after leaving the club. Tim Manor was a great clubman, but he was at the end of his tether. Um, but the gains are probably where the real story is for the Parramatta Eels in 2020, and especially up front. You've got Ryan Madison from the Tigers, and you've also got Regan Campbell-Gillard from the Panthers. Mm. That's some serious sting up front from a team that already did well last year. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, I think they've they've done pretty well in the off season with their um, uh, with their buys, um, and you know they were an interesting side um, to watch in 2019 because they um, they were um, unstoppable at uh, Parramatta Stadium. Like they they could not at, at Wankfest Stadium. I hear it's called now. <laughs> Wankfest. Everyone loves Bank Bankwest Stadium. Everyone well, oh, Wankfest. Okay, yeah, good. I was yeah. like, what? Why? Um, yeah, Not Bankfest. my joke, by the way. I've um, stolen that shamelessly from somewhere. <laughs> um, but you know, they they, they were uh, absolute flat track bullies. They're beating pretty well all comers, right? Yeah. But they just couldn't travel, and I think that they kind of lacked a um, the ability to play to different conditions, even even different times of day, like because they had a lot of day games. Yeah. And they could they could uh, you know uh, like throw the ball around a fair bit and they they weren't necessarily the best at, at sort of grinding a, t- uh, a side out but You're with a guy like yeah. yeah like a guy like Brian Madison coming into the side you know that I think that'll change I think that's an, a very accurate analysis actually they were a team that if they got the upper hand on you they would go to town and jump and down on you jump up and down on your jugular you know they'd notched <laughs> yeah. up some big scores last year um, but as you said they're one of those teams as well, a high-skill team. Mm. Uh, might have lacked a bit of punch in the forwards, and those teams love dry, like day football. They love dry weather football. But when it came to the big games where they had to get into the grind, they didn't really have mm. that. This is where Madison and Regan Campbell-Gillard can really come into the picture, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm more excited to see how Madison goes. I mean, Campbell-Gillard, I'm going to be interested to mm. see how he goes because he's been he's had a, he had a rough like or a, a poor last couple of years with the Panthers, yeah. but by his own admission, he reckons he got too comfortable and um, he needed to go somewhere else to freshen things up. So if he gets his origin form back, you yeah. know, because we know how good he can be. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes for an interesting prospect for Para. And as you said, he was a bit of a hipster trapped in Penrith, which might have been a bit of a culture clash as well. Yeah, although I don't know how moving to Parramatta solves that. <laughs> hey, be mate, it's becoming its own coffee mecca. Gentrifying, yeah. That's right. It's I the mean, geographical the, centre of Sydney, mate. That, that's true. And they're, they're plenty They'll of tell those, you that yourself. Plenty of those boutique barbershops are opening up there, I see, as well. <laughs> Since now, his moustache. But look, this is actually one seriously scary spine as well. When you look at Clint Gutherson, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, and Reed Mahoney. I don't know if you've had a good look at this Reed Mahoney kid. but no, gee, really. He set the field alight mm. last year in certain games. Um, he's got a really high skill level. He's linked really well with Mitchell Moses. And when it comes to Dylan Brown, I don't even think we've seen the best of him mm. yet. Like he is, for me, out of anyone in this team, he's the one that I would single out to be the, the biggest X factor because I think he's got a bar that he can aspire to that's higher than the rest of mm. these guys. I think you're going to see Mitchell Moses uh, finally polish his game a little bit more. He's always been a talented kid. Mm. He's had a bit of problems mentally with fitting into the team environment at times in his career. He's uh, found himself on the wrong end of arguments with his own teammates, for example, because he's super competitive and gone about that the wrong way. Um, If anyone wants to look back on a few choice games, they can probably see the words that he's mouthing to his players when they don't play the ball quick enough. I won't say it here on the podcast because it is quite colourful. But I I think with him getting a little bit more mature, Clint Gutherson I've always been a fan of. I think he's a a really good fullback. And you've got the likes of these young guys like Mahoney and Brown. That's a scary setup in terms of a spine in front of what is a reinvigorated forward pack. For me, they're a genuine premiership threat. I'm going to put it out there. 
Yeah, I think a lot depends on how their uh, tactical approach matures. Uh, I'll put it that way. So you're talking about getting into the grind. And yeah, like and and managing that, and also managing those personalities, as you said, because I did mm. think you know even even with the the the, um, the difficulty in adjusting to different different conditions, I do think that. Um, Moses and and the, uh, some of the other younger players struggled to um, uh, struggled with resilience in difficult conditions. Well, it is funny you mention that because I noticed one trend from last year as well, Xander, was the fact that their wins were big, but they could also lose big. Yeah, right. And they're not the kind of teams that typically go on to win a premiership. Mm. You know, it didn't. It lacked a certain level of consistency. So if there needs to be one transition from last year to this year. It's been able to level out those performances and making sure that they're always putting in a fairly consistent level um, each from week to week. And I think last year Parramatta suffered from not being able to do that. In fact, it was mm. typified in the final yeah, series. Yeah, it was. They it was hammered the first Broncos, <laughs> and then they got hammered by Melbourne the next week. It was it was the weirdest. Um, I think like couple of finals performances you know they, they just looked like they could beat anybody when they were playing Brisbane it was just mind you I mean they, they were playing Darius Boyd um, <laughs> but uh, it felt like an entire team of Darius Boyds when they were playing them um, but for the next week much tougher game against much tougher opposition at night a um, little bit little bit greasy out there apparently they yeah they just couldn't remotely keep it together and when things started to go wrong everything went wrong for them where do you think the strength of this team lies? Having a look at the likely team that's going to take the field in round one, um, they look to have a pretty strong backline. You've got the likes of Sevo, Jennings, Ferguson, Wonga Blake. And then you've got that sort of back row. Sean Lane, I'm a bit of a fan yeah. of. I'm not a huge fan of Junior Paulo. Uh, Nathan Brown, to me, he's a great player, mm. but he gets injured a lot. My, his problem has been injury and actually staying on the field. To me, the only real weakness that I can see here is I could see foresee a stronger bench. So you've got the likes of Takarangi, Kane Evans, mm. Daniel Alvaro. Um, what have you got? Hayes Dunster, David Gower, George yeah. Jennings. Yeah. There's a little bit of a drop-off from your first 13. That would be my only concern. Yeah, it's funny watching like what, what's happened to the likes of Kane Evans over the last couple of years. I mean, he was pretty good um, in the Roosters lineup, and he, he really seemed to have dropped off form-wise, I thought, when he left. He dropped off right after that porno, <laughs> uh, which seems to be a good segue to move into the Manly Seagulls. It's not really, but we'll do it anyway. <laughs> Why not? Um, now, another team. This i got, a, again, Mia Culpa. Uh, I'm going to have to cop to this. Last year, I was pretty vocal about the fact that I thought that the Manly Seagulls in 2019 would be ordinary. In fact, I put them forward as a potential wooden spoon candidate. I was severely wrong about that. They really shocked me last year. They they played some brilliant football. They they performed. There were some guys I didn't recognise. To be fair to me, mm. uh, who ended up having great seasons, the like of likes of Ruben Garrick. Um, the likes of Brad Parker, who I knew, but I didn't know him to be very good. In fact, I knew him very well as a bad player. Uh, but he ended up having a great season, believe it or not. Um, so you got all these sort of lesser lights that really lifted. And of course, at the top, the cream and the crop of that team are the likes of Cherry Evans mm. and the Trebojevic brothers, who are world-class players. Des Hasler, coming back to the fold, really lifted them last year. And for me, not a lot of churn. I see them being similarly as successful as last year. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, looking through their their gains and losses, it's pretty much they've they've kept the exact same group more or less. They've who did they lose? They lost. Um, well, Coruscant's gone, yeah, but they've replaced him with Danny Levi. Yeah, so that's, that's right. the major change in the in the number nine jersey. Levi coming from Newcastle, I think he left the club in not so good terms because uh, he couldn't get a run, uh, which is interesting because it wasn't as though there was. 
hookers necessarily smashing mm. down the door in front of him. I think they've got that. Who's that so guy? Mason a, Lino, I think, yeah, is probably taking right. his spot. He's a fair player. But well, I actually think Levi would be a good acquisition mm. for them. Yeah, Levi, Levi was, was uh, I think, actually makes their spine a bit stronger this mm. year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that, that, that pans out. And, and I think, you know, with, with uh, Hasler back at the helm and, you know, a, a year um, under his belt there again, he'll, he'll have got the team really playing the way he wants. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of wondered how it was going to go. I, I like you thought it was going to be a bit of a mess last year. But uh, Walker and Cherry Evans actually have really, really come into their own. I, I always thought Cherry Evans was never going to play as well again since uh, losing his partnership with Kieran Foran. Um, but they've actually got something quite effective uh, at the moment. See, my big question mark here that I'm not a big fan of, it's not just because I don't like him as a person, but Dylan Walker, for me, he's never been a number six. I think mm. he's a centre. Um, and when he's in that six jersey, I just don't think... I think he's actually a hindrance to the, fl- the attacking flow, particularly when Manly are trying to score in that 20-metre zone. Um, he's an instinctive player. Yeah. Um, I'd actually like to see someone like Cade Cust in that number six jersey and, and put Dylan Walker either into centre or um, either would do. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like definitely yeah. not in the six jersey is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I take your point. I hadn't actually thought of that, that alternative at, at number six, I've got to admit. Um, but um, You've also got Lachlan Croker. They've got a few alternatives for that six jersey. None necessarily beating down the door, mm. I'll put it that way. But I do think there's a huge amount of potential in Cade Cust. I do think he's a genuine rugby league player. He probably strikes you as maybe more of a hooker. Yeah. Uh, but with Danny Levi there, who's a natural hooker, maybe it, it sort of begs the question that he should move into the number six and Dylan Danny Walker. Danny Levi. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Dylan, Dylan Walker can, can emigrate. <laughs> to another country. <laughs> just somewhere else. <laughs> That's just my take. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Lock him up. <laughs> no. And look, they have a great forward pack. I mean, I love Martin yeah. Tapao. He's a fantastic player. Joel Thompson, player. very effective. Yeah, you know. although not down down a hill slope, apparently. Did you hear about that? <laughs> no. He, he had a horrible accident where he rolled down a hill and hurt his neck. It's actually an amazing effort for him to be back playing because he did... He was stretched off in a helicopter Jeez. not long ago. Try not to roll down hills. Yeah, and apparently he's off the drink now. So okay, well, that, that, that's more to the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, just randomly on the weekend goes rolling down hills. I don't know just for full, laughs. I don't know the full circumstances of yeah. why that happened. Wasn't skiing. He was just rolling down a hill. Anyway, I think Joel's story is he tri- he tripped and lost his balance and rolled down a hill. Um, <laughs> As but you do. Don't know if exactly that's what happened or not. But it's great to see him back because I'm mm. a big fan of Joel Thompson yeah. as a player. Actually, I've I've had him in previous Origin squads. That's how mm. uh, well respected I think he is. Um, now looking at this uh, interchange bench, I've got to say, apart from Cust. I don't really know many of these guys, so apologies, Manly fans. who are probably going, you fuckwits, how can you not know them? But Sean Kepi, Tia Fofa, Sipley, mm. and Jack Gazwiski. Yeah, no idea. I've, I'm probably pronouncing them all horribly, uh, but I don't know them. So maybe they'll do what they did in 2019 where I ripped on their back line going, I think this is the worst back five I've ever seen outside of Tom. And they absolutely carved up. So hopefully that for Manly fans, that'll be the case for their bench. And, and even looking at the others, you've got um, uh, Albert Hopoade, another Hopoade coming through. Jeez, it's probably the 13th one. Oh, well, he, didn't he have like 13 kids? I think he's had well, you got a factor of five. <laughs> Did you carry the three? 
Because I think he has far oh, more 164, than 164, sorry. <laughs> uh, we probably Productive should man. have a look at their, their losses as well. Um, so Manly are losing Kane Elgie, who's retired mm. uh, due to lack of confidence, from what I could tell. <laughs> he just goes, I'm not into the game anymore. He wasn't very old. Uh, Trent Hodkinson, who was a great player, but he mm. was on one leg for many years and still played well, yeah, actually, right. with one leg. Lloyd Perrett, unsigned. So he's uh, Sam Perrett's lesser-known brother. And Coruscant, who did lose... Um, well, he lost the dressing room at Manly, from what I understand. Everyone sort of lost a bit of confidence with him. So he's moved off to the Panthers. So in terms of losses, you wouldn't say there's anything too devastating there? No, not really. Like I said, when, when I looked at their gains and losses, it basically felt like they'd more or less kept the entire uh, mm. squad intact. Maybe yeah. depth will be an issue this year. Depth was a bit of an issue for Manly last mm. year as well. Um, when they lost the likes of Tom and you had uh, yeah, Brendan yeah. Elliott coming in, he did a fair job, but I don't know if you're going to win a comp with Brendan Elliott. No disrespect. With a fair job. Yeah. Um, but look, we'll put both of these teams out to Twitter to see how their uh, prospects are this year. Starting with the Parramatta Eels, 55.1% of the people said they'd make the finals. 12.5% said they'd be premiership winners. Almost 24% said they'd miss the finals. Huh. And just under 9% said they'd be wooden spooners. So, you know, that's a fair percentage of people thinking they might win the comp. Twelve and a half. Yeah, I mean, I still have, I, I still have them bottom half of the eight. I, um, I, I reckon maybe given, given the gains that they've they've got, I'd, I'd say maybe around sixth. Well, that's a good segue, mate, because we're going to bring up our ladders that we put together about six weeks ago, uh, which are horribly outdated because I think we put them up without thinking. <laughs> without thinking and without actually looking at who who was going where. I had the eels finishing second. This year, I've got them well entrenched in that top four because mm. I really think they're a genuine premiership threat. Uh, now, Xander, you had the Eels at fifth. Do you still okay. happy with that? Yeah, yeah, so there you go. That was I said, yeah, I was saying bottom half of the eight around sixth. Yeah. So, yeah. You, your opinions are consistent. There you go. You, your On this abilities. one occasion. Yeah, they check out. You're consistent. I like it. Yeah. You're the Bernie Sanders of NRL analysis. Well done, mate. You've been saying the same thing. Saying the same thing since the 1970s. <laughs> That's right. And you're also a rabid socialist. Uh, and I love that about you. Now, there are a few comments uh, beneath the Eels prospects this year as well. Uh, this comes from Sandy Hunter, who is a massive Eels fan for the record. She said, I'd love to say premiership winners. But as an Eels supporter for 45 years, I can't say so. So I'll just say that they'll make the finals. Then hopefully I'll be proven wrong and they'll go even further. I hope they do for your sake, Sandy. Well, I hope you're at least grand finalist because obviously we want three, Pete. Uh, early Chirp, good name. He said it would be 12 zip at home, minor premiers, week three finals loss. So he got very granular yeah, right. with his projections. Uh, and this go is back from, to that one at the end of the year. Yeah, that's right. Mayan Radisson, the very uh, obvious satire account from Ryan Madison, he says in all in caps, give us the fucking trophy now if I were you. So he's just yelling at us there. Uh, but I think he's just a passionate eel supporter, Xander. And the last one we'll go with is Woody and Slugs do rugby league podcast. They said that they've had a great off season. They've had some key signings and they're a massive chance this year. Uh, they're actually a really good potty, so get involved if you haven't listened to them before. Now we're going to move across to the Manly Seagulls. We put that out the same question out to Twitter. 57.2% Xander said they'd make the finals. 27.6% said they'd miss the finals, while 99 said wooden spooners and only 53 were willing to say they'd be premiership winners. So a few less people saying that they... We're going to have a successful year this year, but pretty close to the Eels, actually. So both, I think all parties think that both clubs are going to have a successful year. They're both going to be in contention. It'll be both sides actually strike me as the kind that could play off out of the top four even you know, at this stage. Uh, interestingly, you had them coming in fourth, Manly. So you've yeah, got yeah. Manly fourth and Eels in sixth. 
Uh, and I obviously had the Eels coming second, but in terms of the Manly Seagulls, I have them running fourth. So we're, yeah. we both think they're well entrenched. They're going to be right in this, up to their necks. Up so to their necks. That was a Daily Cherry Evans joke, wasn't it? A few comments under this poll as well, Xander. Uh, Salty Walrus said, I reckon they'll play Souths in the GF, which I don't think can be right because that means we're not in it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not happening. In yet. fact, someone's replied to him. This is what I love about Twitter. This comes from Footy Fiend. He said, massive call, would love to see it, but hate to say it, I think East will be there again this year. Yeah, I think he's right. Well done, Footy Fiend. More after this. Well, that's all we have time for on the show. We certainly hope you enjoyed your time with us today. Again, please get involved with us and ask us anything on the hashtag AskTVT. We'll endeavour to bring you a cockeyed take on the NRL every week with a combination of legitimate news stories and nefarious stories about Meghan Markle. So until next time, just do what a flat earther Mike Hughes would do and plummet rapidly to the ground after falling off your own homemade rocket in a foolish attempt to disprove something that science has known for centuries. See you next time. <laughs>